The opposite of addiction isn't sobriety. The opposite of addiction is connection. Johan Hari Welcome to the Citizens of the Globe podcast, where we not only embrace, but encourage change in our environment, in our bodies, in our minds, and in our souls. My name is Michael Maltez, and I aim to break down the borders we create in our minds one meaningful conversation at a time. Hello, everybody. I'm so excited to share this episode with you guys today because it is something near and dear to my heart. And if at the end of this episode, you feel like helping spread this conversation to others, rating and reviewing, liking and subscribing to our YouTube channel and following our social media pages goes a long way in doing so. So I thank you for doing that if you choose to. Now I've often wondered what the reason for addiction was. As someone who grew up with an alcoholic in the home, I saw that person hit all-time lows and then maintain sobriety for years. But they still struggled with life, trading alcohol dependence for a food or sweet dependence, and then ultimately breaking their sobriety. That experience made me really weary of my own behaviors and relationship with drugs or alcohol. For a long time, I've been told that addiction runs in my family, and so I have to be careful. But what does that mean? Does addiction boil down to genetic predisposition? Well, why am I not an addict then? Or is addiction just a coping strategy to respond to trauma? Well, these two questions are the nature versus nurture issue we've talked about before. Simply put, it's the psychological debate whether we as humans are products of our environment, nurture, or are we products of our genetic code, nature. Most psychologists agree that it's a combination of both, and you can't single out one or the other. Some things are more dependent on your genetics, while others are more dependent on your environment. But nothing is one or the other. I'm encouraging us all to start changing the way we see addiction. That just because someone in your family struggled with addiction doesn't mean that you are doomed to struggle with addiction as well. That there are many factors that lead somebody down the path of addictive or compulsive behaviors. And that it's not so simple to treat. If you have a job and you can sustain quote-unquote normal societal standards such as hygiene or independence, but you drink a little too much and you smoke every day or you rely on prescription pills to balance you out, you're still looked at as functioning and most of society will ignore you. However, if you let your addiction affect other people's lives and start to inconvenience them, you're looked at as a person with a problem. Maybe you become aggressive when you drink or you got caught on a drug test and fired from your job or you black out consistently because you don't know your limit. 
If you become homeless as a result of your addiction, you're looked at as a criminal who will do anything to get their next bump, who will spend their last dollar on a 40, who will just end up in jail or shot. Good for nothing. But I'm encouraging us to look at all these different levels of addicted people in the same way. And I know it's hard because many of us have been hurt deeply by addiction. But the cold shoulder, tough love approach isn't working. And it hasn't been for decades. Not for me and not for many other people. I truly believe we need a psychological revolution to occur so we can reframe how we think about addiction and subsequently treat it. Our current system requires two things of people. To uphold societal standards and to conceal your addiction well enough so that it doesn't show. If you can't do those two things, well then you go to jail, in which you will think long and hard about what you've done in hopes that when you get released, you'll think twice about using illegal drugs again. Except when you get out, you have a criminal record which bars you from getting jobs and finding a place to live. You have a social blemish on your back in which everyone begins to look at you differently. From your friends to your family to employers, you become outcasted from society. Because you won't just pull yourself up from the bootstraps and get better. You're a lousy drug addict. If this sounds crazy to you and you're asking, why did we come up with this system in the first place? You're not alone. These are the questions I'm asking of this country too. So let's explore what influenced this modern day war on drugs approach. Well, in the 50s and 60s, a bunch of university research centers conducted similar experiments where they isolated rats in metal cages and gave them two options for water sources. One was normal plain old water, and the other was water laced with drugs like cocaine, heroin, morphine, and methamphetamine. Nearly every rat in this experiment became addicted to the point where they would neglect to eat, starving themselves, or they would just plain out overdose on the drug-laced water. This led researchers to conclude that the use of drugs altered brain states so much that the addicted subject would become detrimentally dependent on that substance. In other words, they were saying that drugs caused addiction and that some rats or some people were more susceptible to the drugs that caused addiction. These studies began to influence the way the general public here in the US thought about drugs and addiction. I'm willing to bet that these studies also had a part to play in Richard Nixon's decision to start the war on drugs in 1971. However, in 1978, a Canadian psychologist by the name of Bruce Alexander had some issues with the original rat addiction studies. He didn't really like how the rats were isolated in their own metal cages with no other interaction or things that they could do. He said, 
Well, of course they're going to get addicted. What else are they going to do? So he conducted his own experiment in which rats were put in large cages filled with tubes and hamster wheels, treats, male and female rats together, no longer isolated with the ability to mingle and mate. He simulated a natural rat environment. And just like the original experiment, he left the rats in his rat park with two choices, drug-laced water or regular water. What Alexander found was that the rats in his park never got addicted or anything close to it. Even when the research team directly fed the rats drug-laced water for an extended period of time, they did not become habitual users. We went from almost 100% drug-related mortality in the isolated cages of the original experiment to 0% drug-related mortality in Rat Park. This led Alexander to conclude that because rats had a stimulating environment, they had no need to form a dependence on the drug water. This was really, really interesting stuff. But what does it mean for humans? After all, we're not rats. But we do have similar findings in humans. And unfortunately, there was a human experiment being done around the same time. It's called the Vietnam War, in which overseas we were giving our troops heroin to cope with the traumas of war. Nearly every troop who was ingesting heroin got addicted to it. Under the original conclusions of the original rat experiment, we should find that those Vietnam War veterans who came back home after the war continued their addiction with heroin. But what we found was that almost all of the troops who came back and had addictions in Vietnam didn't continue their use once they were home. So at the very least, Bruce Alexander's Rat Park shows that addiction is not solely based on one factor. That it isn't merely a neurochemical reaction that some of us are more genetically susceptible to. Humans are complex organisms. More complex than rats. And I'm sure some of you know a person struggling with addiction who has all the love and support in the world, but they just won't get clean. So Rat Park isn't a one-to-one -one comparison. And like I've said before, I want to be as unbiased as I can be when presenting you with information. So the Rat Park experiment does have its criticisms. And the experiment has been reconstructed since the original 1978 Alexander Rat Park 
they found differing results than what Alexander found. Some of the reconstructions find that addiction seems to be linked more so to genetics, while others support Alexander's claim that the environment is what causes addiction. And I don't bring this up to detract from the Rat Park findings or support the genetic claim of addiction. All I'm saying is that treating addiction requires a much more comprehensive approach than what we're doing currently. Maybe instead of locking people struggling with addiction up and isolating them from society, even after they are released, just like the researchers in the first rat experiment did to their addicted rats, maybe, maybe, we start creating healing environments. If you look at most rehab models, community building is such a big part of the treatment, alongside the individual work that an addicted person must do to peel back the layers of their addiction. In 12-step programs like Alcoholics Anonymous, people don't stick around in the groups for years because they can't stay sober without it. They stick around for the relationships they've built with people who can empathize with them. Those relationships are important. Maybe addictions form to replace integral components of the human experience. Over time, if you've been shunned by family, friends, and society, your need for connection doesn't go away. You replace it. You become connected to other substances or outlets. Because at the end of the day, you as a human need connection. And you're going to get it one way or another. You can become addicted to anything. Some of us struggle with pornography, gambling, gaming, social media addictions. Just like the other drugs you ingest, these outlets are merely an escape from reality. And personally, having a childhood affected by addiction and hearing the genetic predisposition argument all my life, I feared that I might follow in the path of those before me. And today I'm in a place now, because all the work I've done, to take a step back and look at my past, analyze my behaviors, to see when I was closest to bordering addiction or substance using a behavior. In high school, I neglected nearly all responsibilities in favor of spending six to seven hours playing video games. That's a compulsive behavior. But what was I escaping? Well, I was escaping my home life, which was riddled with instability. And instead of trying to navigate that in healthy ways, I just ignored it. Fresh out of high school, I struggled with excessive alcohol consumption, disguising it as social drinking. I was drinking and partying to escape the disconnection I felt from everyone around me, and being halfway around the world from anyone I truly knew. 
left me feeling the most alone I had ever felt in my life. Later, I developed unhealthy relationships with work, gambling, video games, and even porn. These are things we don't talk about as a society. We don't teach our children how to have healthy relationships with substances and outlets because we'd rather sweep it all under the rug and pretend that everything is okay. That we're okay. Becoming addicted to something doesn't mean you're weak. It means you don't have the tools to connect in healthy ways. You've been damaged and you're surviving in the only way you know how. Those times in my life where I depended on those different outlets, they were necessary. And if I'm being completely candid here, without them, I might not be here today to have this conversation with you. As unhealthy and terrible those decisions were, I was in a mental metal cage, isolated from the rest of humanity. And those outlets are the only thing that kept me sane. I tell you my story so you can hear that anyone can become addicted to anything. From the richest, most famous person on earth to the cracked out homeless person walking on your city block. When it comes to lack of connection, we are all trying to fill the same void. It isn't the drug that hooks you. I mean, think about it rationally. Why do we call certain drugs gateway drugs? It's not entirely because people need more and more of a kick as they progress in their drug use. It's because harder drugs tend to be more accessible, meaning cheaper. So if you're already spending your last dollar on a mind-altering drug, why would you spend it on one hit? when you can get two hits of another. What hooks you in is the feeling you get when you take the drug. You feel like you are complete. There's no more void to fill. But the reality is you aren't complete. You're escaping reality. And I am no messiah, I'm no one to tell you that the way you choose to fill that void isn't right, but you have to recognize that engaging in those addictive behaviors inevitably hurts those around you, and hurting the people around you is just as wrong as me telling you you cannot do drugs. Now my isolation was mental. Think about how horrific it is that we put humans in solitary confinement. What damage are we doing to those people's minds? We're not rats. But we sure do treat each other like we are. Alexander's Rat Park, in my opinion, just laid the groundwork for approaching addiction differently but it went heavily unnoticed for about 20 years until the 2000s. 
And I think that speaks volumes on how ruthlessly the drugs are bad and addicts are criminals rhetoric was pushed. Because of Alexander's work, we have models for societies that treat people struggling with addiction as, well, people. Portugal, for instance, has decriminalized all drugs from weed to heroin. And if you're caught using or with the drug, you aren't thrown in jail. You're referred to health organizations. The government provides them with resources for housing, subsidizes their jobs so employers are more willing to employ them. All across the board, Portugal invites addicted people back into the community rather than isolating them and shunning them. And it's been doing this since 2001. Which is no surprise why in 2017, Portugal reported just 295 illicit drug use related deaths. Now compare that to the US statistic of 67,629 illicit drug use related deaths. And while yes, we do have different population sizes, those are still thousands of human lives we are losing every day. Thousands of geniuses. Humans that could go on and change the world if we just cared about them a little more. We're losing them to a stubborn system that refuses to change. Like me, you may be asking, what the fuck? How is it that we have models that work so much better than what we have going on in the quote-unquote greatest country on earth? And we're not doing anything to try and adopt it or change how we do things currently. Well, in some ways, we are. But because our country is so big and our population is so spread out and susceptible to misinformation and provocative headlines, in no small part due to a failing education system that teaches our young nothing but how to be unquestioning yes-men and women workers, all on top of racial, political, and gender issues we are wrestling with today, you may be beginning to understand the complexity of handling the addiction issue. In Portugal, they said it began with a shift in the mindset of the people. So that's what I'm trying to do here today. Keep having these conversations. Inform yourself. Interject when someone brings up a misinformed opinion. Change the course of history. You can do it. I can do it. It just takes all of us. I really appreciate you taking the time today to wrap our brains around such a foundational issue that will have a huge impact on the rest of society if we can start to get a grip on it. Most of what I talked about today came from two sources, the book Prodependence by Robert Weiss and the work of Johan Hari. I'll link both in the description of this episode, and I encourage you to do your own research. But before we end things today, I just want everyone to know that loving someone with an addiction is extremely hard. 
it hurts. But tough love doesn't work, and neither does unconditional love. We need to learn how to love healthily. And in this society, as advanced as we are, everyone needs a little help learning how to love healthily. With that, I hope you continue to create the day that you want.